welcome to the We're Alive Fancast. And now, your host, Mr. Redbeard and Mick. Welcome to episode 61 of the We're Live Fancast, where we cover every new release of the We're Live audio drama. I'm Mick. And I'm Redbeard. And this is the last new release of We're Live that we know of for a while. <laughs> and I'm not happy about that, but I am happy about what we get to talk about in today's show. Me too. Me too. Spoiler warning, we're going to spoil the entirety of... <laughs> All four seasons of We're Live tonight, in one way or another. So if you haven't heard it, if you haven't heard the finale, chapter 48, you probably don't want to be here. Yep, the finale. Yeah, the ink runs dry, but not my tears. Oh, actually, that's the first time I've heard that subtitle. What? It is. I normally don't catch <laughs> the subtitles unless I'm making podcast notes, and I didn't even think to grab that this time. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say it. Give me an opening. Yeah. But not my tears. No. Oh, wait. That was you? Is that is that the actual subtitle, or was that your addedness? That's my added part. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, what was the subtitle? Was there one after the ink, ink runs dry? Uh, you, mm, that's a good question. Let me look it up right now. Beating you to it right now. Rip meow. The end. Okay, yeah, I have the end. That. Or seen, is it? Or is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, before I get to our iTunes review, I just went out today and looked at some of the recent We Are Live reviews, which they have a ton since around the time of the finale till now. And we should have had a segment on this show talking about some of the messed up reviews people wrote about We Are Live. Like, just really confused ones that, for some reason... They listened to a little bit of the show and thought they knew exactly what it was about and wrote this scathing review. Like, there was a one star that was calling it sexist. What? Yeah, and I was like... And they had only made it like three or four chapters in, and they kept talking about how the girls needed to be saved from the guys, and of course we'll talk about that later. As uh, also Casey's pointed out uh, when you hear the his final Q&A. But uh, there was that, and there was another one that would have been answered if they had listened a little bit longer, too. I was like, yeah, we should have covered some of those. The, they were comedic, almost. That's hilarious. Yeah. yeah that, that just reeks of ignorance. It does. Such a great, well-produced show. Most of them were like, best thing ever, which you know makes sense, but not, not those for some reason. So let me get to uh, the latest iTunes review we got, and we thank you guys for submitting those. Um I'm sure people will continue to listen uh, and catch up, as a lot of our friends have, actually. Shout out to Gun Show and The General, and maybe maybe my brother in Florida. He might be listening. And my nephew. Your nephew. Yep, the Rodman. <laughs> Dennis Rodman's your nephew? Yes, Dennis Rodman's my nephew. The worm. <laughs> the worm in the beard. That's gross. Oh, good old Roddy. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Hey, Rod. But uh, this one says, love you guys, and it's five stars from E. Rot on July 30th, 2014, which, by the way, anyone who's listening in the future, it's Wednesday, August 13th right now, 2014. And uh, he says, or she says, 
I think Air Runner on the forums is a is a male. I'm not can't be completely positive on that, but says I enjoy the added incentive of hearing my review get read on your podcast. Great work, McGinger and Redbeard. I'm up to episode 42. Features I really enjoy about this fan cast are the cast interviews, and they are quite generous with their time. I agree. Yes, they are. And the Blair Wayland guess the chapter based on my reading of the script in a funny voice game. <laughs> <laughs> also, if the Blackhawk radio station is going to become a recurring thing, that would be fantastic, especially if it's where the departed characters could host their own shows. The interaction between Mick and Red, uh, Mick, between Mick and Redbeard, is the best part about this podcast. While Mick seems sympathetic and optimistic in his opinion of all the characters, regardless of the questionable choices they make. Redbeard is more hot-tempered and has expressed his annoyance of CJ and Michael some of the time, and Pegs all of the time. <laughs> Heck yeah. Both That's podcasters awesome. are cool and endearing, especially Redbeard's infectious laugh. Keep up the good work, and good luck with whatever else is left of the WA fancast and all of your other en- endeavors. Air Runner from the forum. Thank you so much for uh, going up there and writing that. That was really nice and Kind of a long review, which we I appreciate. It was I was able to see what you liked, you know, and it. We, that's going to help us going forward, really. It seriously it will. And so uh, keep that laugh up, Redbeard. Yeah, love it. I, I'll do my best. I've been practicing <laughs> my my new one, so maybe I can get some laugh fans. Uh, <laughs> you think that's going to work? Probably not. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, what you should do, Captain High Pants. What was that guy's name? Oh, uh, I don't want to mention his name ever. If I could, even if I, <laughs> even if I remembered it, that something. Oh, never mind. I'm not even going to do that. Did he have a laugh? I don't know, but I bet it, you could creepy. probably come up with what it would sound like. It's almost as creepy as Princess Bunny or whatever. Oh wow, that's a nice throwback. That's to a callback. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, that thing will haunt your nightmares. You ready to head on, well, on to the... Oh, almost. No. Stay okay. tuned at the end of the show for details on how to win some We're Live merchandise. Oh, we're going to do a giveaway. Yes. So whenever we come back with this, you'll we'll, whenever we get to the end, we'll give you some more information and as to what you have to do to win it. Oh, very cool. Sounds like a contest. Yes. I'll call but it. Unofficially, because there's weird rules about that. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> of course there's weird r- rules for that. Gosh, why do they got to ruin everything? Uh, I know. Too, many, have a too much contest? Too much bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's see. Oh, I had notes for me to listen for something when on the listen-through, but I didn't see them until now. <laughs> and I can't answer that question, so I'll have to well, ask you that later. Oh, yes. Ask me later. See if I, if I caught it. <laughs> Let me throw it in here where it belongs. <clears throat> That's where it goes. All right. Ready for that McRed Network scene-by-scene coverage? Yes. So Very we good. picked up where we left off in Chapter 47. Could have just joined them together, and it would have made sense. Yes. So Bert's talking to Pete over the phone, you know, and if you guys remember, Pete has been shot, and... Uh, they told him where they took Max, they being Scratch, Strings, and Hammer, took Max and headed off to Dunbar to raid the place and get the get pegs. Mm-hmm. And I like the way this scene is 
real dynamic. It's just going back and forth from different places without any like real jarring, you know, cuts or anything. But it was just kind of flowed really well mm-hmm. to let you know that uh, just like the beginning of A Brother Where Art Thou, I'm in, we're in a tight spot. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. Me too. <laughs> so yeah, then we quickly shoot over to Dunbar, scratches in there trying to mess up the place and. Um, you know, this was a funny little play back and forth that, you know, the scratch and her little crew are playing it up that they already have pegs and Kelly calls out and pretty much gives away that pegs isn't on that floor that they know where to go and look for. Oh yeah. Tricky. (laughs) And now I, this next piece, I didn't catch this the first time around. Um, you know, the power's already cut to Dunbar, so they don't have any surveillance equipment up and running. So Kelly and Tanya are headed down the garbage chute to connect up a an extension cord so CJ can get up the cameras. And the other piece that they're doing is they're going to their little armory cage yeah. and grabbing body armor, weapons, and well, later on CS gas. Oh yeah, and it's just it's setting up for what leads into this really great uh, Dunbar section of the finale. Oh yeah. So, and good old Puck is getting propped up with a gun, <laughs> fully medicated and ready to go. <laughs> He's laying down some cover fire for Kelly and Tanya jar- uh, jumping across the hall to go down the garbage chute. <laughs> and again, his the sound of him breaking or re-breaking his arm. Or leg? What was it? He rebroke his leg at the end of 47. Yeah. That was the most gruesome sound ever. (laughs) (laughs) So, we jump over to Michael, Victor, and Saul in the tunnel. Cody has been disabled by this point, and the C4 detonators have been ripped off. You know, after a lot of back and forth, Saul says he's going down. He's going to fix it by himself. And he's the only one that can really go and be quiet because he doesn't have to wear the gear that Michael and Vic need to because of the gas and that kind of thing. Right, and that yeah, that works out well. Plus, to talk about loadouts here, which I thought was really cool. Uh, Saul takes the NVGs and the rifle and the katana. And then, you know, Michael and Vic, they I almost said Mick, Michael and Vic. They, uh, <laughs> you wish. <laughs> yes, that'd be so cool. Uh, they, they keep the big giant Matagun they have to carry around which has an air tank by itself and then they also have scuba tanks right. scuba gear so just imagine all this stuff clanging along clanging around ding dung dung so Vic heavy. is a hoss Vic is a hoss <laughs> uh, so yeah but Vic he's he's really struggling with this he doesn't want to see Saul go but they kind of have a little embrace here I, I kind of listened hard for this they don't really say goodbye Saul just says I know I know Hey, I know. Yeah. I, I think you sound like, I know you want to say goodbye, but we're not going to. What did you get from that? That's kind of what I picked up, too. He's like, we're, it's not over yet. We're not saying bye. Right. And he heads Again. off, and you hear the little pitter-patter. You know, if anybody's going to be able to pull it off, it would be Saul. Yes. So then we uh, we go back to Dunbar. Um, they, they, they were struggling to make the extension cord fit into the wall socket, or I guess maybe the a socket on the generator. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they got it in. Kelly and Tanya are racing over to the armory cage. Pegs, Hope, and the baby are in the baby's room. I guess, what is it, the 6-4? Yeah, it's 
It's the one that Scratch actually is, is. I know CJ's on the third, and Scratch at this point is on the fourth. I didn't know if it was on the seventh. How high did the barricades I, go? I think, I think they were on the seventh floor originally, and Pegs didn't like it because the the windows were completely exposed because they thought it was safe up to that point. Mm-hmm. And I think the bear the barricades going over the windows go up to the sixth floor, and so Pegs felt safer on the sixth floor, which turned out to be a good thing. Okay, Pegs mentions they're on the seventh floor. This is chapter forty-six. Pegs would rather live on a floor with blocked windows. Yeah, so they're on the sixth. So they're on the sixth floor. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, uh, for the win. Yeah, and they and they this is this is where they thought they were in the first place, but it's confirmed when they got the monitors hooked back up with power. Now they're going to use uh, CJ used a baby monitor to talk with Pegs, and I guess she can hear Pegs over. The video monitor. Now, I thought... I think... I don't know if she could hear. I thought she could just... Pegs she could can. Like shake her I, head. I went back and listened, and you can hear Peg's voice real faintly. But it, it's there. She's talking back. She's showing her concerns. And you hear... It, it, this is a really funny thing. It's like, you can hear Hope try to tell Peg's about the gun. That's the hand, the pistol that's in the bed. Or right. in the bedroom. I didn't catch it then, but I do catch that later. So, uh, and she mentioned it before. It was when they first got to the to Dunbar and were setting up. Hmm. Um, all back. I don't remember that at all. Oh yeah, yeah. It was mentioned before during the shot, shot, shots. <laughs> hmm. Uh. So yeah, you know the the baby monitor is a one way communication to Pegs, and I guess she can hear that coming back over. Now, I I don't know what room CJ was originally drilling into to put the the video feeds through but i thought she wasn't going to do it or she you know changed her mind on it and it's like okay i won't do that i think in the baby's room maybe yeah I think that's I where they are was, and that was okay i'm pretty sure they never came back and said anything about it so that one that particular one's still in there the video camera and uh so she was able to communicate with pegs now Pegs already has another pistol with, uh, with her in addition to the one that Hope had found. And uh, Scratch, Strings, and Hammer are making their way down the stairs. And uh, Scratch, or uh, Pegs has shot out down the hallway with the pistol just to keep him at bay. And this is when the Pegs Fury really comes out. She seems, I mean... If she could have children, if this was her child, this would be like the mommy vengeance that comes out. Yes. <laughs> and there, it's in here where they talk. Uh, Scratch mentioned something about the windows being covered. Yeah, I don't have that here exactly what she said then, but I do. Remember, I do love when she says, "Got spunk now." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was, you know, I know Kelly. And Tanya are getting the CS gas to throw down to that floor. I'm not sh- really sure how they did this without being right there. But they were able to drop the CS into that floor. But if Scratch, Strings, and Hammer are in the, in, in the stairwell already, or just outside of it, how did they get the CS down there without running directly into them? I, I don't. I'm not sure exactly how it all worked, for sure. Um... Except that I was just rolling with it, but to actually think about it, maybe it would they let the gas loose in the stairwell and it filled that up. 
filled up that area, and maybe that was also right where the fire escape was. Okay. Yeah, and that, that's not yet anyways. That's like the next scene in Dunmore. But I, well, I just I noticed that, and I, I thought I would point it out. When Pegs gets the gun, CJ yells something at her just before that. She's like, you know, go or something, blah, blah, blah. Do it. Do it now. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great part of the reference, I'm pretty sure. Whenever oh. he's like, do it, do it now. <laughs> I'm not sure, but that's, that's pretty funny. But yeah, they haven't thrown it yet. I, I got a little ahead of myself on that one. So um, the next scene is Michael and Vic monitoring the uh, video feed from Cody to see when Saul reaches that area in the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so hold on, though. Big big deal. Pegs, Pegs is shooting a gun again, which hasn't yep. happened in a long time. So we've got a... Something going on here, some big things happening, of course. We'd expect that with the finale, but yeah. Okay, so the next one. Well, Michael can take care of himself. So, uh, but when he was immobilized, she fought through and did it. This Mm -hmm. time, there was no question at all. She did it without even flinching. And with some fury behind her words. Yes. (laughs) Which I, I, I was pretty impressed by. I was happy to hear that. More character growth, just all over the place. Yep, yep, yep. Sure. <laughs> the beard and pegs and goodness. <laughs> the beard. That one's I'll pretty just, funny. I'll just do it, Chucky. I, I no, that sounded like your Pee Wee Herman laugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Pee Wee Herman laugh. That would be good too. <laughs> so okay. Unfortunately, my family's sleeping, and I have to do that at about a thousand decibels. <laughs> So Michael and Vic, you know, we're back in the tunnel. Michael and Vic are monitoring Cody, Cody's uh, video feed to see when Saul makes it down to that level of the tunnel. As they're watching the video monitor, they see a a woman that's turned and it's marked with it's number four uh, and it's a mother of one of the little ones. And shortly after this, one of the uh, one of the pale numbered ones uh, staggers in and it appears to be middle aged. And it's the size, they compare it to the size of one of the ones at Radon. Yeah. And, and I, I'm guessing this is part of them aging really quickly. Right. And how much more creepy do you get than this scene of the mother still, you know, I guess alive in a way? But yeah, that was just creepy. It, it was yeah. so visual in my head that it was messing me up. Now, I, unless you've put it together yourself or heard the confirmation from uh, Casey, but this is one of the this is the only mother that survived out of the twelve that we know of, right? Yeah, the rest of them died during the the whole transformation process and giving birth to the little ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so as they're making their way through, Saul kills the little one with a katana, and the uh, by this point the the mother number four had gone down one of the tunnels like she had been called down there or was investigating something. So some kind of strange, but Saul made it to Cody. The timer is all jacked up the, the wiring and he's trying to wire the remote detonator. Um, and it's around this point where ink attacks Saul and you know, he's, He's not make he's not real clear to understand. He's kind of gurgly, kind of scratched sound, you know, and mm-hmm. like he's struggling to breathe or something. But he's telling uh, Michael to go ahead and detonate the C four, 
and they're, you know, this is not an easy thing. This is not, there's, you know, you can hear the conflict in both Victor and Michael at this point, but Michael does it, nothing happens. Right. And again, he's, he's able to do this now. The Randy thing he couldn't do, the Datu thing he did, you know, and then this thing, he, he just went ahead and it was, was going to do it, but, but unfortunately wasn't able to do it. And yeah, the timer was screwed up. So they had to do the remote detonator. Right. And at this point, Victor's like, but that's all. And I'm just like, I'm with you, brother. I mean, that's all. Don't, don't do it. But you got to. But it didn't go off then. So no. Ink just like rebites Saul. And it's with this deep, you know, I'm going to turn you quick bite. Yeah, he's turning into a snack bar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he tosses him down. Uh, and Ink's just like, I think Michael says smug standing over him, you know. Oh, man. Yeah, we're kind of waiting for Saul to, to change. He's just watching him as if he's another test subject. Yeah, and this whole chapter, I mean, this whole chapter is very, very vivid in my head. But I could totally see this. But so, okay, so what have, let's try to describe this a little bit and see, see how, if, you, if we both kind of came away with the same thing. You got ink, he bites him, blah, 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 throws him down. And so Saul is kind of up against Cody, who's right there that has the katana underneath it. And as ink is is standing over him, he sees that, you know, okay, nothing's going to happen. So at that point, as ink begins to move, Michael drives Cody off backwards, which gives Saul the opportunity to grab the sword and spin around and take out ink at the knees or shins. Yeah, the shins. That, that's what is that? Does that description kind of fit in how you saw it? Yes, and there was a detail that I didn't catch before when I listened to it during the uh, the live show. Yeah, is that when he cut his shins? It didn't just cut his shins; it left his feet in his shoes, away, you know, detached from his body. <laughs> um, but you know, there's something that it was real subtle when it was mentioned. But when Ink first comes up to him, he rips the bandage off of uh, Saul's face. And you know that symbol's there on his face that was etched in by Randy. But the uh, you know Ink stops and stares at it for a second, and then proceeds to bite him. I think I don't know if the symbol caught him off guard or what. But it there's enough of his human side of the brain to override those primal instincts or whatever it is driving him to. Make the uh, protection symbols work. Oh, nice. Did not catch any of that. I forgot that he had that mark on his face. That's good stuff. Also, uh, I like this here. The title, Ink Runs Dry. Well, Ink's not going to run anymore. (laughs) His leg's cut off. And he's bleeding out at this point. Exactly. He's bleeding out, so he's bleeding dry. And as he's laying there on the floor staring at the ceiling, as Saul describes him, he calls out to the other zombies. The and there's a creation. and if you listen to it real close, there is a call and response. So I thought that was pretty interesting. So they're in some lower level of this tunnel, and before it's all over with, you can hear them, just tons of feet moving, mm-hmm. and just you know, just crazy sounding. Right. Before we move on any further, too, uh, going back just a little a little bit here. Okay, so when Saul stands Cody upright, and I know I've talked about this being visual, but when he stands Cody upright, um, and we've already seen the rock kind of go by, which 
got the little one's attention and he started to smell that something was nearby, which was probably Saul stinking up his sweat wearing off. Mm-hmm. And then he just straight kills that thing with the katana. And then what <laughs> yeah, is he, he pick, then he picks up Cody and smiles into it. And I'm like, I, I am seeing that on a freaking big giant movie screen. It's gotta be, it's gotta be oh, taken care of. It's a great scene. I would love to see this come to life. Yeah. On, on, on film. So yeah, man. And this next part, I mean, I don't know how calm and collective I could be taking the batteries out of my MVGs and hooking them up directly to the C4. <laughs> There's yeah. no way you have, have to be Saul, man. That's... And he's he's got it there on the ready. But before he even does that, he's giving Michael and Vic directions on how to get out of the tunnels. Yes. He's telling <laughs> no that way. Okay, turn left and turn right. I mean, he knows exact. He's got the whole thing under control. Yeah. Cold as ice. So man. And, you know, it's kind of funny that in the, the these turn of events, all of a sudden the gas is filling the tunnel again. Now, what triggered that? Is that the Was that the C4 detonating it that released more gas? Or were the zombies doing something to keep it at bay? I mean, I, I'm trying to, you know, there's not a whole lot of information on that. I'm assuming it's the, the detonation that released more of it into the air. Oh, let's see. Where's but it, it seems to gas. come and go at random times without, you know, there. it doesn't really fully explain it, but I, I guarantee you that released it. But as to why it was in the area outside the tunnel and then it wasn't, or, you know, is there seismic activity going on that releases this stuff from time to time? I'm trying to see where uh, I don't have notes for whenever they going to have the gas again it says they're making it outside the tunnel they're you know they're running to the exit and gas is starting to fill the tunnel so they're putting on their mask and then you know later on he mentions that it's good that they had the mask on because the the dust would have choked them out too right i mean the only note i have here is when the hose falls off michael's tank and he's he pulled the mask only to have his lungs filled with dust yeah, that was after they got outside the tunnel. This is exactly. as they're running up. Right, that's what I'm saying. I don't have exactly when the gas happened. I don't know if it was before the detonation or after. It was right after. Okay, I'll take you for it. I don't, I'm not sure. So, uh, and shortly after that was mentioned is when Victor kills the number three little one. Mm-hmm. Um, and Saul is still giving him directions, and he describes... Well, Saul ink. kills number three before... I mean, Vic kills number three before Saul is dead. Yeah, yeah. So if the gas is already out here, the detonation oh, has yeah, not it, happened yet. It has not happened yet. Okay. So that's... I don't know why it's suddenly getting released. There's no. That's what I was kind of confused about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He hadn't set it off yet, is because he, he hadn't told him. There's some other stuff before that. Yes, definitely. That's why I was like, a, I knew we had jumped a little bit there. Yeah, I think I was. I meant to put he was preparing to detonate the C4 manually by wiring it to the MVG batteries, but. I put detonated like he had already done it. I don't right, know why no, it was, he was rigging up the remote detonation for Michael. My bad. Okay, so, yeah, uh, they asked what Ink was doing at one point, and uh, Saul replied, Ink is laying there staring at the ceiling. And he's, you know, he's kind of mumbling, making some noises, and that's about it. There's no words, which is kind of what I was hoping for. I know it's a little far-fetched, but it had been kind of cool to hear Ink say something. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, Saul said goodbye, 
and says, take care of my boy and my mom. And then Saul says, Michael was right. And I, I guess he saw the new ones. Yeah, I've, I've quoted here, Michael, I see them. You were right. You were right. As uh, he's about to blow it up. And Vic says he can see the light leaving, you know, from the tunnel. Yeah, so, yeah he, saw, he saw whatever it was coming. But he says, I see it. You were right. Uh, and I, I wrote them, but I, I just listened to it today again. And it sounds like he says, I see it. You were right. Not, I see them. Like, it sounded like it might have been a big thing. I don't know. I want to hmm. know what this creation could have been. Yeah, it's not like some perfect hybrid between a inkling and a behemoth. So, right. I don't know. Casey's not budging on telling us what that was, but he knows. Yeah, I mean, he's got a conceived notion in his head for storytelling, but we'll probably never hear from that again because that's under a lot of dirt. Oh, yeah. Let's see. So, yeah, Saul detonated the C4, causing the tunnel to start collapsing. And uh, it's in here right after this. This is where they said that they would have been choking on the dust and there's no visibility. When they get outside of the tunnel, though... Wait, we're just with Michael at this point. Yeah, Michael has his mask off because I think something malfunctioned. I can't can't remember for sure. Oh, he fell off his tank. That's what it was. And he starts choking on the dust and has no visibility. And then it says... There's a beard through the haze. <laughs> and that's how they describe Randy coming No out. outline of a figure appeared in the haze. Yeah, there was a beard in the haze. No, not a beard in the haze. Yeah, the a beard in the haze. in the haze. Nope, a beard in the haze. No. <laughs> I heard that today. I, I, and I knew that wasn't right, but I laughed. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. I kind of wish you really thought you heard that. <laughs> you you had me fooled for a minute there <laughs> until you said it the second time. <laughs> I, 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 cra- I cracked myself up at the time because I was like, that's hilarious. <laughs> a beard. <laughs> Randy. <laughs> so Michael tries to shoot Randy and misses and his uh, rifle jams. So... He still doesn't get to put Randy down and take him out of his misery. <laughs> he's still... I mean, Saul has just helped him out of there and rigged up the bomb himself, killed a little one with a freaking uh, melee <laughs> weapon, and then Michael can't even <laughs> pop a guy at close range with a rifle. Yep, he's shot by Vic with the Mata gun. <laughs> and, you know, I thought the, the levels of the audio could have been better, so you could really hear that pneumatic, perfect sound. But, I mean, I'm not going to complain too much. I did, but it, I did miss what I thought was the old Mata gun sound as well, because I was like, that doesn't that sounds like a gun. It just sounded like a gun going off. Yeah. More, I, more than the Mata gun. But, you know, it's, it's like, okay, I'll look over that. It, it, it was still awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh, to man. To have Victor save Michael after all the crap Michael has given Victor over... Yes. <laughs> Over the last several months. And I guess this is the point where I have to say that Cat was right. Saul was going to die. He didn't He didn't die from that bite from Randy early on, though, like we were arguing about. But he did nonetheless. Well, that's died. why it happened is because Cat wanted you know that to happen. Right. I can't believe she did that, too. I know. Way to go, Cat. She could have just wanted a little more. <laughs> <clears throat> though it wouldn't be an orphan. But that's fine. 
<laughs> so I guess I know why Saul had to die because it had it probably had the most probably had the most emotional impact possible. I kind of thought Michael was gonna die because he was the hero and all that, and it could still happen. But no, it's <laughs> he's, he's out of danger at this point. Uh, but I guess I had to die because it really did give us that emotional punch. Because he he was my favorite. He's you probably know, most people's favorite. That you know, outside of everybody who loves Bird, of course. But what? No, what? And, and the more and more I talked to Casey, I thought you know maybe that plan changed over time. But that was the kind of the plan from the beginning. Yeah, it sounds like it, especially from what uh, Nate G's had to say in our interview. Yeah, I think did he say go out with a bang in the interview? Yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> he did say go out with a bang. <laughs> <laughs> Ranch's so, death was a little anticlimactic. It was. It was. And at first, at first, it really kind of bothered me because I wanted a whole chapter around that when it happened. But now that I've had some time to process it, this is not like our regular recordings where we record the night that we hear it the first time. This has been a couple weeks now. Uh, I kind of like it, and I can see what Casey said about Michael's arc with Randy being over since he'd already had to keep Datu from turning by hitting him with that syringe, and also with Saul just now, we see that he's he's kind of grown and been able to make the sacrifice when necessary, so we didn't need to have some kind of build up, some emotional, like, sad, like, oh, Randy, I can't do it, okay, I can do it. Yeah, I mean... The way that Ink got taken out was kind of cool, but it still seemed to be lacking something. But the way, and I, I can look past that, but the way that Randy died, I was just kind of like, there's no retribution for Michael and his, you know, distraught mental issues over, you know, <laughs> not being able to perform. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> not being able to pull the trigger. Yeah. <laughs> um. Let's so, okay. So, tell me if this is just silly because we, me and you, we've kind of known between ourselves that Saul was immune, even if the story hadn't told us yet. We kind of just knew and hoped. Uh, at least on my side, I was hoping he was immune, but pretty sure that was the way the story was going to turn out. I'm pretty sure we got the best confirmation we can get because he's been bitten now again by Randy. Not again by Randy, but he's been bitten again or had zombie stuff inside of him again with Randy's bite and then with the king, Ink, biting him and him not turning. Right. So. Immune. Immune. Stamp it. <laughs> Done. <laughs> <laughs> you have any so, more notes on this section? I don't want to leave it. Saul was still alive and the beginning yeah, of Yeah, well, he's not now. He's not. Thanks, thanks Kat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we cruise on over to Dunbar. Scratch strings and hammer. They're now they're in the hallway, hmm. and they're That's talking the amongst themselves. And Scratch is trying to negotiate a, some kind of a deal to give up Nicholas. Um, now Pegs isn't hearing any of this, and she starts shooting down the hallway again with more explicit, you know, language and anger. <laughs> <laughs> and it's about this time where the CS is set off. Now, how they did that? This is where I'm kind of confused. If they're in the hallway right down by the stairwell, I'm assuming there's doors on the, the, the stairwells. Maybe if, they threw it up. You know how you look up a stairwell? Maybe they threw it up and landed it on that floor. I don't know. 
I don't know. Well, they threw it up there. CS went off. It's spreading everywhere, even down the hallway to where Pegs and Hope are with the baby. Mm-hmm. So they make a run for it. Somebody's arm gets hurt. I think it's Pegs. Yeah, Pegs. Um, I don't know if that was like debris hitting off, splintering off of a wooden frame and hitting her or like a bullet grazing her. Something like that is what I took from it. Yeah. And so they're making a run for the fire escape. Uh, and Pegs can't see, so Hope, already being blind, is taking the lead. Um, you know, they're making their way down the fire escape, but the ladder won't release, and Scratch catches up. Peg- That's another great scene. I, I I did enjoy how Hope was able to take over, and uh, her ability to maneuver without seeing is really paying off here. Uh, also, when the window opens, uh, I'm, you probably have a note for this, too. But, and I didn't catch it the first time until Casey mentioned this, but when the window opens, the first thing you hear is a crow. Yeah. <laughs> and Casey said these crows are actually intentional ones he put in uh, due to the, the... crow talk. Yes, due to all <laughs> the crow talk on the forums about what crows could mean, death or scratch or something like that. Yep. And they continue as they go through this little escape down the fire escape. Yeah, so, so- did they... We get to the point they get all the way down to the bottom and the ladder is stuck, man. They can't get it to fall. And they're home free, I think it even says. You know, if they can just get this ladder down, they're free. Yeah. I mean, well, at least for a moment. Right. Now, Scratch is caught up at this point and Pegs shoots off a few more rounds and she's out. There's no more ammo. But And again, Hope, Hope is, at this point, going down the stairs. She tries to say again here, Pegs, I have a... She's like, just keep running. Yeah, and it wasn't until they're kind of cornered and Peg sees the gun on the back of Hope and pulls it out. And yeah, you're right, real quick, <laughs> I'm killing you here. You're killing me. Yeah, Hope refuses to pass the baby to scratch. This her stubbornness also pays off here because I means she's at a point where she could just hand the baby oh, over. That's a valid reason to stop me. <laughs> Hope, Hope is. Awesome. She is. She's like, no, it ain't going to happen. Really strong here. And just <laughs> like, I'm not going to give it to you. And it's, you know, there's, you're not getting it from me. Little girl. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you hear two shots. And Scratch starts having this dialogue about, you know, what? <laughs> really? Really? Like this? <laughs> and Scratch falls off of the, the ladder are off of the, the fire escape, and boom, hits the ground. Mm-hmm. Pegs, this is one of my favorite lines, I'll admit it. She says, she missed, I didn't. Wow, that's and big. I, I love that line. The, yeah, it was a really good line. It, it, it paid off really well. So, yeah, Tanya and Kelly got the other maulers, um, and this was confirmed here in a minute, but I, I was first, I was going, well, what happened to Strings and Hammer? I never even thought about it. Uh, uh, as a critical piece to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they confirm it here in a little bit. Yeah, and that, that was my question I had to throw in here because I meant to re- listen for that and I didn't see that note was, how did they die? We don't really know, I don't think. Maybe Puck got them on the way down. I'm not sure. Which, you know, or, and it could have been, it's just as easily, it could have been CJ or Kelly too, but I know I just know he was aiming at the door. Yeah, they uh, it says it, at one point it says Tanya and Kelly got the other Maulers. Oh, okay. that's all it said. So, but yeah, they, but they mentioned that they're dead. 
Um, so yeah, Tanya is awesome. Kelly is awesome. Mm-hmm. Probably no hesitance there at all. <laughs> <laughs> so after all this is over, after we're expecting Bert and Riley to be one of them to be the one of the ones to get her, they pull <laughs> they pull up. <laughs> yes, they do. Now Scratch is still moving, but Bert kicked the gun away. And <laughs> Scratch is, I guess at this point, talking to Riley. And <laughs> tells her, do I know you? Mm-hmm. And then says, is that what you did to TARDIS? You know, talking about killing him. And so she's taunting Riley, and she's saying, how did you do it? A gunshot to the head? You hung him? You know, my favorite thing to do is a, a knife to the throat. <laughs> but, you know, Bert's doesn't think that Riley should do it. Scratch claimed uh, at one point to try and save Angel. Well, they all know that's crap because they saw the video. Um, you know, and then I guess she was going for a knife and Bert knocked her out. Well, I I kind of agree with her here, maybe. I think she did try to save him. She means she had somebody trying to bring him, keep him healthy and everything, and he just pushed her into killing him. Maybe she thought she could turn him back to the family and she could control him. But once she saw that he wasn't going to be of any use to her, and he really just offended her at one point, that's when that's whenever she killed him. Well, I, don't, yeah. I don't think that she had well, she, the intention of killing him from the beginning. But she killed him. It was like she she kind of she was leaving that detail she did. Out. But in her in her mind, I think she was trying to rationalize. Look, you know, I I didn't. I was starting out trying to save him. <laughs> yeah. Maybe in her mind, he killed himself, even uh, though she pulled the trigger. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I'm I'm trying to to play in her mind a little bit here. I I got you, I got you. I understand what you... But I still thought it was pretty awesome that Bert knocked her out. Mm -hmm. Got knocked out. (laughs) (laughs) Got knocked out, that's for sure. And Bert said, you're not a killer. And now I think he's talking to both Pegs and Riley at this point. But I know he's really speaking to Riley, but it really does apply to both of them. Because... I think Pegs was ready to do it. I think Riley would have done it if she gotten pushed to it. That's a good take. Yeah, I definitely didn't pull that out, but I can see what you mean for sure. I, I just thought Riley all the way, but I could see how he was meaning that with Pegs. You know, I uh, later on, I, you know, he I, he confirms further that you know Pegs is not a killer, but at this point, I think he's talking to both of them because they're right there and they're both armed. Mm-hmm. And Bert said he's going to deal with her, and does he really? <laughs> So, uh, Kelly, Tanya, and CJ are talking about, you know, how, when was the last time they heard from... Oh, yeah, so before we move on any further. Oh, you... Because, uh, well, that, <laughs> that's, this is the end of a scene here. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Of course, great scene. I mean, another... I mean, this this whole chapter is full of top-notch scenes. This, uh, but this was one, really one of the best of the series. When Bird arrives... And this is interesting because Casey is called, you know, called it at least interesting when everyone, including me and a lot of people, was talking about who was going to come and save this Dunbar group instead of the Dunbar group saving themselves. Oh. Uh, he's been calling, you know, calling a lot of people into that. Like, you know, he said it was kind of funny how everybody thought, well, is Riley going to come save him or is Michael going to get back in time? Bert's going to come in and save the day. Right. And... Uh, after thinking some more about this, he's probably right. Like, I don't know, 
if I if I would have said the same thing if it was Michael and Vic at Dunbar. Now, granted, uh, Saul and Michael are soldiers, so you would kind of expect them to be ready for battle and all that. Oh, but I, ne- I never would have thought, oh, who's going to come save them? Yeah, it goes back to those ignorant, you know, reviews. This is a perfect example of how that's not the case. That's right. This is all a bunch of women. <laughs> yeah, very strong women. Uh, Taking care of business. Absolutely. <laughs> but it's it's been good food for thought and personal self-analysis for me. Uh, now that he brought that to light, like, hey, look out for that. And especially, more, I'm more aware of this thing since I have two daughters and... You know, I've I've, I've got to be more. I've got to have an eye for that more. I think, but so that was really good, and I appreciated uh, him bringing that to this story. Yeah, that's a good takeaway. So yeah, Kelly, Tanya, and CJ are talking One about one more thing. They, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> this is my last note. So this is what I'm gonna say when I get to my last note. We'll learn how to do this scene by scene coverage. <laughs> <laughs> Tardust was a rat, apparently. Now, not to, not to say he didn't lie about some stuff along the way, but Scratch does call him out for being a rat, and he wasn't just trying to uh, lead them into a trap or anything. He wasn't? Right. Yeah, I was wondering how... Or if she really did know what happened to Tardis, or if she just assumed that happened. I'm pretty sure she assumed it. But or did she show she's up to really the cabin s- later and find his dead body? Oh, yeah. Well, she would have known it was a headshot and not hanging, I think. But they would have oh, had some true. drag marks for sure. What? <laughs> just don't know. But yeah, she's... Mission for zombies. Yeah, with that line, it showed how intelligent she is. Because she was able to pull that out. Like, he's not here. I bet y'all had him. How'd you kill him? <laughs> I bet Scratch would have been smart enough to figure out that uh, that everyone at the colony would have known that Lizzie was pregnant, it wouldn't have jumped to, oh, this must have been the guy that raped <laughs> Lizzie. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> that, that's, uh, that one thing. I was like, really? We're, we're going to just jump to it like that. <laughs> that That's the one scene that really kind of bothered me throughout the entire series. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it had to happen. I, just, I don't know. The dialogue was a little odd. But, uh, okay, now I'm going there. Okay, Kelly, I'm not, I'm not Tanya... And CJ, I'm not letting you stop me, are talking about when they last heard from Michael, Vic, and Saul. And sure, you know, perfect timing because Michael calls in and he tells them that it's been a success, but no questions at the moment. Needs to talk to Tanya. And, you know, I didn't think about it before, but Casey did point out that this is a, uh, some huge growth for Michael because he's having to give that talk, you know. Not only is it a good friend of his, but he's having to tell Tanya, look, you know, he's he's dead. But what he said is Saul did what he had to be done. Mm-hmm. And they talk here and the music seems to overpower what Michael says. And the first time I thought maybe it was a an editing error. But I, won't, I, I think more now it's probably a style choice. Mm-hmm. And... They, he purposely covered it with music. I mean, you could still, I mean, if you wanted to, you could pull everything out of there. But for the first time through, you're like, hey, I can't hear what's going on. <laughs> I want to know more. <laughs> right. But I can definitely pull out. He said he loved you, Tanya. And she's like, I know, I know. But it was kind of like giving them their privacy. Yeah. But also having the music to help with the emotion of it. I don't know. I thought it was really well done, too. Uh, yeah, I agree. 
I thought that was really well done. You know, I will go ahead and point out here, there, there are some things I underappreciated the first time I heard it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more and more I've gone back and listened to it, I don't, I don't think there's a better way to do it. I think he, he nailed it. Well, see, here's the thing. Listening to this for the first time, you know it's an hour. You know it's more than an hour long. And so there's a lot to take in. We're wondering, it's only been 36 minutes. I've got the time here. It's only been 36 minutes, and this it's getting resolved awful quick. What are we going to do with this next half hour? Yeah, that's that so was going through my head too. That was it wasn't really taking me out of it, but it was like making me think, what else is going to happen? There, there's not enough time for something else big to happen. Yeah, I, I, and I was like, what are you going to do for the next 30 minutes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> really half a chapter so but yeah okay so we uh the next scene comes in with some kind of a vehicle noise and it's pegs and uh vic have pulled up vic is calling uh vic called michael mikey <laughs> and now he's okay with it you call me whatever you know you have my back more often than not so <laughs> and i thought it was funny now th- this is just one of those things it always seems to be set up for for cj CJ's already watching the video of, you know, surveillance from Cody. <laughs> she is on it. She wants to absorb every piece of knowledge she can get. Yes, she does. Is that where you can hear Saul in the background? Yeah. Oh, see, I I thought that was another style choice of just putting that that sound over the background so he would be with them, kind of. No, yeah, she's... The, the no, she's watching it. I didn't catch that. The recording is done from the actual monitor and remote device. <laughs> so, and now, it, was it Pegs or Riley? It sounded like Riley was holding the baby. Yeah, but, I think Pegs was, but I'm not sure but, exactly. But, uh, yeah, I know, but it sounded, uh, I thought that's what happened the last listen through. Could've but it sounded like, I thought it was Pegs singing to Nicholas. So, I don't know, I was a little confused there. Maybe someone else can clarify that for me. And, you know, you're kind of going, well, you know, they ask, where's Bert? <laughs> nobody no nobody seems to know. <laughs> so we leave this scene and we're about to enter the darkest scene that I think we've had in War Life. Yes, outside of Tardust and Lizzie, this would be the clear winner for me. <laughs> <laughs> so you you hear somebody beating on some kind of a container from the inside. Yes. And you hear it scratch. And uh, you hear Bert come in over a radio and says, Oh, you're awake. So some powerful sedatives were given to him. And then there were ones from the cabin. Mm -hmm. And so she's entombed in a little coffin that is covered by concrete and steel. Just enough so that it's ensured that the concrete won't collapse the coffin and kill her early. (laughs) This and man. We're, we're and, and to make it better, it's at the location of the old tower, the original tower. One so, got to pull something out of uh, another document real quick. Okay. So you want me to kind of go ahead and talk a little bit? Yeah, about the scene. Don't leave the scene yet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, <laughs> yeah. Bert's giving her a little talk about that's a one you know a radio that only I can hear. It's encrypted. And, this is other walkie-talkies. The only one that's going to be able to receive anything from it. So don't bother trying to get help from someone. Um, he tells Scratch, Riley is not a killer, but I can be. <laughs> he told her, I told you I was going to bury you. 
And then, and then you hear Scratch freak out even more because you can tell it's just the realization as to what's going on is just set in. This and, is so scary. <laughs> yeah. It's like, this is one of the worst fears you could probably possess is being buried alive. Yeah, there is a phobia name for it, but I don't even know why because I'm pretty sure everybody's scared of this. Yeah. Not irrationally, uh, well, but still, that's... And, and to hear those old stories where they didn't know for sure you were dead, so they'd put a bell on the... I mean, how they figure out how to do that the first time? <laughs> it's like, this person's dead, Well, they but, had to oh, exhume no, somebody, and they would find, like, scratches on the inside, I think. Oh, that's what it was, yeah. So they would put a little bell to string in there, so if they weren't really dead, they could ring it and in get St. out. In St. Augustine, Florida, we went on a, a silly little ghost tour back when I was first married. And, uh, oh... So my first marriage, but back right after I was married. <laughs> <laughs> he is on my, his first marriage yeah, and his only marriage. I'm married to my first wife still. High school sweetheart. Continue to be. Yes. Great um, stuff. But we uh went on that ghost tour in St. Augustine, and they had, you could see the bells and stuff in the cemetery. At least they that, told us that. I'm not sure if it was that or not. That'd be cool to see. It was really neat. The other one that's really cool is the, uh, and we're getting off topic, but is the, uh, all the above ground cemeteries down, like, in, towards Louisiana, because the water tables are too high. Oh, yeah. Because the caskets used to pop out of the ground and float around. That's <laughs> nasty. Oh, that's nasty. So, yeah, we're talking about Scratch, and she's buried, and Bert, like you said, mentions he's underneath, she's underneath the old tower and more concrete and steel. Mm-hmm. Well, we mentioned this in the Casey interview as well, but for anybody that didn't get to hear that, Chris Eads pointed this out. Late chapter 13, early 14, when Bert takes charge of the tower, he sends out scouting parties for supplies, and one comes back with cement mix. That's right. He says it isn't a good idea due to lack of water, but also says, at least we have it when we need it. And he, asked, <laughs> he wanted to ask Casey, is that the cement he uses to help bury Scratch? And the funny thing is here, in the interview, if you haven't heard it, Casey's like, oh, yeah. That's a, <laughs> he had forgotten that he detail. Didn't, yeah, he didn't. It's like he put all the pieces together for it to set it up for it and kind of forgot. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I believe maybe he even did. Like, oh, I'm going to build this in here now because I know what we're going to do to scratch later. And maybe he forgot about it, but he he acted kind of like it was a coincidence. <laughs> well, I think I think that's what it is. There's so many details in putting this whole universe together that things are going to get missed, and you know, he <laughs> reassembling it later, it may happen by right happenstance. But oh man, that's that was awesome. Oh good, yeah, good call, Chris. Nice pull. Yes, very nice pull. And and you know, this is so funny because this this is all kind of retribution for Bert getting locked away and being held prisoner, starving. And what he described in one of the previous chapters about what all he went through, uh, scraping mold off the walls to eat it, and like just terrible stuff. Hmm. So he ramped it up to 11 for freaking scratch. He did. And, oh man, it was so dark. <laughs> That's. Yeah, that was a good scene. Mm-hmm. And as he's getting ready to leave this area for the moment. It sounded like he threw the walkie-talkie to the ground, but he had just told her that he wanted to be able to listen to her and check in on her. Well, he didn't say he wanted to listen to her. That's what that's what I gathered from it. But he but didn't he, exactly he said, say that. But he said he was going to come back to check on her until she was dead. 
That's what he says, and so it kind of sounds like that, but the way Casey described, yes, he did, in fact, break the radio. Um, And he didn't, when Casey wrote it, he didn't mean for it to sound, I think, like he was going to come back and listen to her, but just he's going to come back and check on her. It kind of came out wrong, I think. Hmm. Pretty awesome, though. It would have been darker if he was going to listen to her. Yes, it would have been. <laughs> and so he says, uh, oh, Casey is, he's pretty sensitive to the sexism issues, but Bert here is, I think, maybe being kind of sexist. Why? He says, uh, he says, and I can get how a character can have different feelings and motivations in the writer. He's old and grisly from the Vietnam era. Exactly. But still, <laughs> he's, you know, he's like, well, you know, I can do this, but the girls can't do it. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's not even a nitpick. It's just an it was, observation. I don't think it was a sexist thing. I think it was just identifying those characters as not being killers. No, it's not a sexist thing. And you know the fact that Bert's been to Vietnam and has been put in a situation where he's had to be a killer. It's a definite line drawn. He's a killer. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not saying Casey's sexist. <laughs> I know he's the farthest thing from that. I just it was a funny observation to go right from that last one to the girls can do it to the girls can't do this. Yeah. But yeah, you, you got a good point there with it's just he didn't say wasn't him about being I'm a man and I can do this. It was just, <laughs> I can do this and those guys and people aren't like that. So And he's such a nice guy, he's gonna go feed this little kitty who's hungry. Yeah, good old Mr. Whiskers. <laughs> I guess ran out of uh some face meat to eat and Oh, it's gotten a little skinny. Oh, you know that kitty cat ate some dead bodies. (laughs) (laughs) They're just waiting. They're just watching and waiting. So good old Mr. Whiskers is back. He's still alive. And we flash forward 14 years. Oh, my God. (laughs) But before do you have anything else on this chat on this segment? Yes, I I do. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) Um, What's it here? Okay, for like the last three or four segments, we pretty much could have ended the whole story here and played the music and it would have been over with. And I was kind of making those notes as we were going on. Like, it could end here. Like, when I listened to it for the first time, I was like, it could end right here and be okay, even though I knew it was going to continue. But wait, there's more. And then the next section, I was like, it can end here. I'm like, man, we're just getting all this cake. Because it could end here keeps getting better. It could end here, keeps getting better. It could end here. I mean, it really could end here because we're about to do the flash forward and we had the resolution with Scratch and everything, but go ahead and take us into the future there, Doc. <laughs> Time travel, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so flash forward 14 years. This it seems like pretty much everyone's living at the colony at the moment. Finish. Can I finish? Uh, Can I finish? Okay, I finish. Sorry, South Park the movie reference. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna drop the mic and walk off the stage. <laughs> so yeah, okay. Fourteen years later, living at the colony, uh, we know for sure the behemoths have died off. They went. They let them kind of die off on their own inside the jail. Uh, Robins and the other soldiers' bodies were brought back for burial after the the behemoths had died off. Um, you know. Well, yeah, I entered this all wrong. We know this. <laughs> do you want me to do this? Flash forward 14 years, living at the colony. The story's being told to Nicholas, the son of Lizzie and Saul. 
you know, and there's some questions being asked back and forth, you know, what happened to the behemoths? They died off in the jail. Um, and then at that point is when Robbins and the other soldiers' bodies were brought back for burial. Um, they talk about the symbols and where the, that it, it was a petroglyph that Native Americans used. The people that originally found it thought it was a warning for a steep drop off because they didn't understand. Um, Ink had tattooed him with himself with it on the side of the face as a symbol for protection. Wasn't intended for the zombies. That was just a, a circum, you know, a, a coincidence. Hmm. And, and it was only effective when he turned his, you know, we learned this later from Casey is that it was only effective when he turned his face towards the zombies and they saw the symbol on his face and dropped away and let him go. Right. So, uh, they talk about Tanya a little bit, you know, they, that her research consumed her until she died from cancer. And that uh, basically her theory was that the zombies had, uh, are, you know, something from the past that died and decomposed, trapping the gases underneath the ground. Yeah, some form of some form of that kind of creature is what I gathered yeah. what he was saying. That That's probably, a, yeah, that's better. Yeah, lived better long ago, and when they died out... They rot it away. Yeah. And that the outbreak was focused and only, you know, Ground Zero was in L.A. And then it was carried away by other people to places like Hawaii and these other countries that all had the outbreak happen. And that was during like a slow release of gas. So some of these people were slow turners, you know, or the gas didn't have a huge effect on them right away. But... There was a, sepa- a second uh, release of gas that was a lot more epic, and that's what uh, you know where the the rest of the zombies came out, and when ink was turned, and that the whole thing. Yeah, that was the May eighth explosion on right. chapter one. Yeah. And um, also, okay, so let's break this down. You've okay, so you've went through that. There was a slow trickle. Some people got turned into sl- maybe kind of got slow turners, and then went all around the world. And turned wherever they were after that, you know, leaving right. through airports. But also, it goes even further. This next part, it says deep down, with enough pressure, uh, any places where a lot of those creatures lived, those became hotspots. So whenever one Did it went say off, that? yeah, it continues on after that. Because I was like, whoa, this is it's like double coverage here. Uh, so so deep down, enough pressure, place where a lot of these guys lived, there became these hotspots. And when one went off, like in L.A. They all did. So I'm guessing that's the Ring of Fire, and then the rest of the world would have been hit by these slow turners. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And so, you know, and the, the, the gas wasn't released by anything specific. It was just a matter of time before it it just did. So, yeah. you know, in the very beginning, there was thoughts that, you know, Ink and some of his people before he got turned had planned all this to happen or that the family had, was somehow involved in this, but it was just, this was a natural event taking place so yeah and i'm glad that this was put in there because i mean we kind of had there was kind of this theory going around and other in some fashion or form towards the very end of season four whenever we had a lot of the pieces together but i'm glad we got this you know tanya's main theory to kind of explain it and as much as we're going to get and I, i think it's enough oh yeah i think it is too and I think the way it was told was good because it, you still have to think about it and kind of put the pieces together yourself. Mm-hmm. But, you know, 
It does. It does answer the question. Um, so nice little roll up in a short amount of time. Uh, you know, and we continue on. This is all stuff that's being told to Nick. Just a reminder, you know, and it's about this time that he's been given the choice to join the guard, and he's not sure if he really wants to do it. You know, he's being told that uh, that you know he's special. He gets a choice when others don't because he's possibly immune. Right. And only certain people know this. Um, and uh, that's to keep him safe. I guess some people would probably try to tear him apart to see what makes him tick. And I guess is what the fear is. Um, and he asked why Michael and Pegs ended up raising him when uh, Victor and Kelly were going to do it originally. Or I guess Victor, not Kelly, because they weren't officially official yeah, they weren't, item. They weren't so official. I don't think they really are still, but they they pretty much are. They're they are. Denial. I mean, Kelly was off later on. She's off working, and she yeah. couldn't cook that night. So, yeah, they tell the whole story as to, you know, that Michael and Pegs couldn't have children. So they took Nicholas on at the age of three as a child of their own. Mm-hmm. They're putting him to bed, you know, putting Nicholas to bed at this point, and he's got the next day to kind of... Continue to think about yeah. his decision. And I've got a lot of notes before we go past Mr. Whiskers. Yes, yeah, so and Mr. Whiskers jumped through the window, probably going to get his zombie flesh fix. And yeah, that little dude's still alive. He's 14 or 15. Mm-hmm. Probably 15 years old. Which yeah, is normal for a kid. It started. In the yeah, so he probably 15. went on for a year ish, year or more. So he's 16, 17. Something like that. But yeah, it, that's a typical. You know, cats live 18 to 20 years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> so, release the ginger to his notes. <laughs> okay, so we get the uh, we get the idea that the journals throughout the story were read to Saul's kid. And that that's kind of, I mean, they didn't sit down and read all this to him, is, is what Casey said. But that's kind of what we're getting here. At least he's the last sections, and a lot of it he's heard before or he's hearing now. Especially this main end part, end part of the story. Uh, Tanya becoming obsessed with it. I don't really like it, but I don't have a good reason not to like it. I just, just like Tanya so much. I think she was already obsessed with finding answers. you know. And now that she's got a grandson that's living in this world, she wants to make sure that enough information is carried forward so the research can continue. Can continue. So they can know how to deal with this in the future. Yeah, but I think she was turning into like the obsessive, can't stay away from it, and weird, weirding people out. It's the apocalypse. Really so what else you gonna do? Self and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I didn't like it. I mean, I know, you know what can we do? Blah blah blah. I I just didn't like it. Um, and so okay, we talked about the origin here. Basically, a geological slash biological origin, not any. Supernatural good stuff like that. Yeah, no like, aliens. Really glad for that, for the story. Uh, the new kid. I love him. And he's got this choice about you know joining the fighting force or not. He's a little older than the rest of the recruits, which is kind of cool. And also, Nick, if spelled a certain way, is an anagram of ink. That hit me today. And I was like, oh, that'd be, that'd be awesome. If that was meant to happen. I am your father. No, nothing like that. <laughs> it was kind of cool. Another parallel, not parallel, but uh, 
a mirror type thing. Uh, there better be no barren jokes from Redbeard. I'm glad there wasn't anything like that. Well, you know, they had to make her stronger near the end because she couldn't have kids. Oh, no. <laughs> I made that up. I don't know. At you if you were closer. <laughs> You're bad. Okay, so Nick went to stay with Pegs and Michael when he was three. And Vix, if you, I don't know if you caught it, they mentioned that Vic said it was better this way. And I was th- the first time I listened to it, I was like, why would he say that? What's and better this way? That Nick stays with Pegs and Michael. Oh, well, you know. I've got an answer, but go ahead. I I think because of he and Kelly's relationship, the after the insight Casey gave us, gave us, it was it seemed to make more sense because they got more time to be there. You know, he's you know, Vic's some kind of I don't know mattress king or some kind of supply goods store salesman, but the the whole relationship insights that were given us to you know Kelly and Victor. Seems to be like they're still kind of young at heart. <laughs> I don't know. And maybe Pegs is more nurturing than what they could offer. Because, you know, Kelly's kind of brash. Yeah. I'm so glad you thought that. Uh, I was... <laughs> yeah, so Vic said it was better this way. And I'm thinking, why would he say that? And I was like, oh, yeah. He's with Kelly. <laughs> and so he wants to get Nick away from Kelly's influence. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you can picture her with hope, drink, 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 or shot, shot, shot. That probably then, happened anyways, or will happen soon. He's like, I don't want him to turn out like Tommy or something. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know Tommy, but you know. Yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah, that's and it could have been a sore subject for. It's a well, real loaded know. line. It's better. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's better that way. Get him away from Kelly. I love her, <laughs> but man, she's not a mama. No, no, Kelly's not. <laughs> She's awesome. She is. Okay, so, you know, these, this next scene, I guess uh, Nick is finishing up the school year, and we hear the professor from season one. <laughs> He's asking basically if he was going to be back next semester. Um, said he didn't know yet because he's still making the decision whether or not to join the guard. Uh, Riley, we find out, is a French teacher. Um, and if you listen in the background, you could hear Pete, on a loudspeaker, giving an advertisement for his store. Yes, yeah, snake oil salesman over there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so then the next thing is like, the, you know, we find out there's a council and we know for sure that Michael and Pegs are on it. Kelly is a lawyer again. And uh, Victor spends a lot of time with Nicholas. Um, you know, and Victor's confirmed that Nicholas, if he joins the guard, he will be protected because there's a lot of friends that are also in the guard. Um, uh, then Vic mentions that he has his own store at this point, and we know from Casey that Vic and Pete are rivals in sales of you know whatever goods they're <laughs> they're putting out. Although <laughs> that was great, and good old Greg Miller, man, that that guy's pretty funny. He is. <laughs> uh, Vic gives Nicholas a knife that's just like his dad's, um, which I thought was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Coming full circle. And then it kind of fades out and fades back in, and it's Michael and Peg's dropping off. What do you have anything at this point? Yeah, I do. Before we roll into the next scene. Thank you. You're welcome. I, do. I, I like, and I kind of thought about this school scene is Saved by the Bell, We're Alive. What? <laughs> what? 
You know, I was trying to cast everybody into the Saved by the Bell mold. That's like, oh, that might turn Casey into Mr. Belding. He probably doesn't want that. <laughs> oh. Um, okay, so Casey's the teacher here. The first time I listened to this, this is another one of those I'm really dense moments. And I was thinking, oh, they just cast this actor for the teacher. I was like, he sounds, <laughs> he sounds pretty good or whatever. He sounds kind of familiar, but I wonder if we're going to hear him again. We got some more time left. Maybe we'll hear him again. Maybe he's like one of the like ROTC people like type things. And then I didn't totally didn't get it until during the, one of the QAs and somebody I was asking about, you know, his teacher role. So that was me being really dumb. <laughs> also, Riley, the French teacher, that's amazing. Shouldn't have to be a chef. No. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. So this next scene, we got Michael and Pegs dropping off Nicholas at the training center for the guard. He still hasn't decided yet. He's wanting to kind of check out the school and make sure this is for him. And uh, Bert's getting to walk him around, which is really cool. You know, it's cool getting to see all these people that saw him grow up, kind of bring him into the to the ranks. And uh, we encounter Puck. He's a basically a drill sergeant, which was great. Yes, it was. He's perfect. And uh, we find out that Hope is a medic. And uh, there's a, you know, they're explaining the symbols and uh, it's on an armband now, the protection symbol. And uh, Nicholas is, you know, answering the questions as to what the, the symbol means and how, how it works and what the colors mean and all that good stuff. So, yeah, there's some kids smarting off to Puck during the scene. And <laughs> we find out that this kid's name is Alex and it's a uh, it's a son of Robin's. Evidently, he had relations with someone from the colony. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess a common problem is that they're, you know, kids like Alex want to join the guard in order to have revenge against their dead parents. But, you know, that, I guess that's going to be some kind of typical thing. That's why some kids join the military. Um, but yeah, Bert promises to treat him like everyone else once he agrees to it. Um, and they go right into joking around about airplane together, you know, some of the little puns, which I thought was pretty funny. And they joke <laughs> about, uh, airplane two. Yes. That's funny. <laughs> I thought it was so, airplane one, but yeah, it's you know, they, they, he, they're making references to airplane one and Nicholas says uh, something about an airplane two and Bert's like, yeah, we're not going to talk about yeah, that. That didn't happen. <laughs> So we find out shortly after this because Bert's kind of giving him some little details about what they're going to be doing. And he talks about the the MG3. I guess it's version 3 of the Modigun. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's, that's hilarious. Sounds more, you know, getting to acronyms. Yeah, I, th- I was like, is that a machine gun? <laughs> and then they're like, oh, Modigun. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and it's about this time that CJ approaches the two of them. And I guess... She's a commanding officer of the guard. Did they give her a title? I was. They didn't. I was waiting for them to call her like general or <laughs> prime minister or president. Cause, she, yeah, she's she's a top level official for sure. And uh, yeah, I guess the council is the governing body for the people, and then you know CJ is the, I guess basically the commanding officer of the guard. Right. That's what it sounds but, like. 
doesn't want to be saluted, called ma'am, and all these other things. She doesn't want to deal with the formalities. Right. And we find out that CJ has a daughter. No insights yet to who is the father. Maybe later on, maybe Tales from Orla. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Vera. Is it Vera? I think so. Yeah, so you're kind of holding out for that one. Sounds like a mini CJ. Yeah, yeah. She's definitely a perfectionist, from what it sounds like so far. Yes, it does. Um, You know, we find out, we get a little insight to, you know, they're still being the normal run-of-the-mill zombies that are, you know, prowling around. And they're, they're, I guess, more than they could possibly think of. And when they, you know, they mentioned in here that they're, you know, even with how many they've taken down and killed and how many die off on their own, there still seems to be just tons of zombies. So, and kind of explaining that's their mission is to track them down and kill them off. And they start talking about some numbers of people. They talk about that there are 10,000 people at the colony. Blew me away. Yeah, that's, that's huge. They must have kept expanding that area. Yes. That Lake Matthews, that group of people, and I thought there were more than just Lake Matthews. Yeah. When we talked about this before, Casey mentioned that they didn't all go to Lake Matthews, that they, they went towards that area. But regardless, there's about 2,000 people there. And I could have swore that Casey told us that there was still a, gro- a group at Dunbar, like a small operations area. I don't remember that. It probably is, and he he probably know, and I know he knows, <laughs> you know where a lot of people are around this that just never made it into the story. But he says others beyond borders, some friendly, some not. Yeah, yeah. There, I thought that that was interesting too because well, he talked about some of the kids coming from like Texas or somewhere. Yeah, there's a set of triplets. Yeah, so obviously they're they're associated in some form or fashion. They're getting, coming there and getting training. How did how did triplets, who were 17, I think, 16 or 17, so that would have made them like two two and three, how did they survive? They were in Texas. <laughs> yeah, <I had> to, <laughs> they were just surrounded by awesome people. a bunch of Texans. <laughs> and they were in the middle. <laughs> That's crazy. Far enough away from ground zero to dig in somewhere, maybe, I don't know. So, you know, Nicholas wants a challenge of shooting a lone wolf with a modigun because there's one run around outside the colony. And so Bert's kind of coaching him through this. And this is where I found a little problem. This may, you know, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, when he's given the instruction, he said, aim a little low. At that distance, the bullet arcs. I'm not sure it was a modigun he was using. It was. I believe so. I'm not Regardless, positive. Modigun or rifle, whatever. Normally, when uh, the bullet arcs, you have to aim a little higher because you're lobbing the round further than it's really designed to go. Um, I I know that you know our little Hobbit friend <laughs> when out at the range, he was giving me instructions on how to hit a a, a like a hundred yard target. At a hundred yards with a forty-five. Well, I mean, if you know about a forty-five, that round drops pretty quick. But you could do it if you basically pointed the the, the pistol up in the air uh, a little ways, like really high above where that round should have gone, and and we were able to hit the hundred-yard little metal target by doing that. So I don't know if this was an oversight, if I'm missing something on this. I, I'm not really sure. 
Because this this zombie's at a great distance, so it seemed like he should have been aiming higher. You were outside the maximum effective range of that pistol, or whatever you were shooting, and this this particular target is not, is the way that I gather. And the bullet, depending it, on what kind of weapon, it's going to differ, but it's going to arc. It's going to go up a little bit before it comes back down and hits that uh, maximum effective range. I want somebody to explain that in great deal to, in detail to me. There's, make there's sure that I'm thinking around that. Out there. Well, I, I get that. And I get that, you know, it's going to... There, there are circumstances for that, yes. But for... How many yards was this away? Uh, I don't think I tracked that. I, I mean... Look. No. I, I just assume it would be the same way. I Picture... Higher because the round's gonna drop. This is a bad illustration, but picture somebody throwing a football. Yeah, and but I, when the guy you throw standing, a football, you're standing, you throw it up. You're standing six feet, and you're throwing it to a guy that's standing six feet, and you're over twenty yards, or whatever. You're kind of throwing it straight. But it's kind of going up. I don't know. It's I'm just she, trying to give you a picture to look at. I don't. I'm not sure. Yeah, I would have to have, how to explain have, it. I'd have to look this up in detail, but. I know with with some of my experience that's been the case, but I could be wrong. I know on some great distances, we're talking like sniper distances, you get into weird stuff like this for certain rounds. But this wasn't a sniper rifle, and for if I remember correctly, this was a couple hundred yards away. And I think it was the Modigun. And if that's the case, that's definitely going to be the case because you're gonna you're gonna lob that to the, your target. It's not going to be the issue of it arcing. Well, okay, here's a it's a graph, typical hunting rifle trajectory, and it's over 200 yards, and you shoot from zero distance. It goes up about two inches at 50 yards, and then it's up as high as three inches between 100 and 150, and before it really starts to succumb to gravity and wind resistance. Okay. So, and yeah. I But... Regardless, so what, I'll, what was I'll, the do, I'll do with, some research on that. Oh, okay, just the practicality of it. Yeah, yeah, that was the only thing I thought was like, well, wait a I minute. I thought he'd put it's... that much detail into it if he didn't. wasn't pretty sure that's the way it worked. I, you know, typically that's some that's a major distance that you're shooting at, and a lot of the rifles like a that I've used like a 308 round even, um, you can hit a 400 yard target without worrying about something like that. So. I don't know. I'd have to go look it up and really see where, how that would play into effect, but I just had a little bit of a problem with that. Maybe some of it may be my ignorance. I don't know. But coolest ending right here because as soon as the shot hits and the zombie falls, he says, I'm in, and the music cues up. Yeah, that was a great ending. And for those that don't know, this is a Lizzie and Saul song that starts playing and then it morphs into something newer, happier, you know. Because there's, you know, kind of an, a brighter outlook. Yeah, it swells you know. there. Yeah, it's really neat. It was really good. Um, So, anything on that last scene? Oh, than... yeah, lots of stuff. I love that Bert's walking with the cane, but they don't say anything about it. Oh, yeah. I've said that before, but uh, just I want to say that here, too. Uh, Hope is the nurse. She's carrying on what, Con- what Tanya taught her at the colony. Kanye. That was really cool. I heard your colony. The symbol... Real quick, I'm just going to parrot what Nick said. The symbol with the red is danger on the outside, white is safety on the inside on their arm patches. So it's like a circle with, you know, it's red and inside's white. 
symbolizing safety. I thought that was cool. And then the marking in the middle means protection. And I really liked how Puck was talking about, you know, you don't let this thing get dirty. You don't let anything happen to it. And, yeah, I can understand that if you ever need that to work, you don't want it to be messed up and dirty where they don't see it as the symbol yeah, for this rule. That would kind of suck. Uh, Bert's revenge didn't help the pain go away is what I'm gathering from what he says. Because he was like, you know, it's not going to... That's a nice takeaway. Didn't go away. And I wasn't exactly convinced through this scene that he had remorse for what he did to Scratch. Just that the pain didn't go away. <laughs> kind of wish he had a little bit of remorse because that was... My goodness, I got to go to talk to somebody about that. Uh, <laughs> I love the joke. You, you need an adult? Yes. <laughs> I love the nervous joke with the airplane reference. The nervous lots of times. Um, yeah. I really, I dug the three positions of Recon, Scavenger, and Guardian. I know it's going back to the old colony rules, too. And the, But we talked about the loadouts with the Recon and Scavengers carrying the MG3 Mataguns and the Guardians using the M16s. Yeah, and they got a longer distance they can shoot from. Right. And um, he mentions, Bert mentions flippantly, you know, it's harder to make the bullets, but we'll show you how. We kind of had that discussion a while back about how hard it is to make that kind of ammo. But that's kind of cool. I mean, it's been 14 years. They're teaching. Process. Yeah, they're teaching the recruits that are going to be, you know, the soldiers and guardians, whatever, in this world, how to make their own ammunition and be self-sustainable like that. That's really cool. Nitrocellulose, <laughs> nitric acid, and fat. Hmm. <laughs> And, um, yeah, we talked about CJ. We don't know who the baby's daddy is. <laughs> I love, love, love the time jump. Yes. I wasn't, sh I don't know if I ever talked about that happening or if I ever thought it would happen, but I'm really glad that it was done this way. You know, and it's nice because that story's rolled up, but you could easily have a sequel, you know, beyond, like, Tales from We're Alive. But... An actual sequel, so, and, it, and it not be completely related, but still continue on a story. So easily, I'd love to hear Nicholas's story from here. Yeah, that would be that would be good stuff. Though I'm pretty sure we're not going to get that, as you know. Yeah. Um. Okay. Whenever the zombie came out, we were gonna look at we were looking at it, and he was saying the face was messed up. For a second there, I thought it was gonna be Scratch, like somehow. <laughs> An undead scratch dug her way out. <laughs> and I was like, is this going to be scratch? Oh my gosh. And I'm glad it wasn't. That would have been I think it's too crazy. been given enough time where even as, uh, you know, because she, she did turn. She would have done that because everybody's in. No, no. No, she wouldn't have turned. No. Well. This isn't that universe. Never mind. Yeah, but so I was thinking, is this lone wolf scratch? That's crazy. At 14, he's a little old to begin his training. That seems a little young by our standards. What are your thoughts? Uh, I think uh, uh, kids, you know, in their adolescence are not given enough credit for the abilities they have as, you know, as far as today's standards go. You know, I think there's a lot of people that kind of leave uh, kids that are in their teenage years up to their own devices and say, you know, you know the teenagers, they do what they got to do. You know, they do what they do. Well, it's because mm -hmm. they're misguided. Uh, and I know because I was one of those little misguided, and I have words for it. But you know, yeah, <laughs> I, I I think they're they're underappreciated. So this is kind of cool. 
I like that philosophy, though I was pretty well guided, and I still got up to my own devices. Because if you had been used to your full potential at that point, I think you you would have stayed out of trouble. I mean, you think about it. Could you go back and do the same stuff that you were able to do when you were 20 years old? Yes. Why? What? No, you couldn't. Do what stuff? I you know, like you're going through marine basic training and yeah, and I'm, real, I'm, and, I'm in better and, shape than I was then. Uh, but there, there are some limitations that you have that you wouldn't have had then. You, you didn't have attachments. You didn't have a whole lot of responsibility. But if you would have been given it, you would have been able to take it and run with it, with without any potential of mental breaking that you probably have now, even if you don't want to admit it. The, the, the abilities for someone at that age is a lot greater than. We give him credit for. Okay, it. twenty is a big difference than twelve. Well, I I know, I know, I'm saying. And I we're getting really but, off topic here, but <laughs> so but that, yeah, it is it is young, true. Okay, uh, so we're handing we're handing M16s yeah. to eleven year olds and twelve year olds in this universe. Yeah, when well, it would have been pretty normal. I mean, the reason that we don't have that pressure on kids a, that age today is because we have a huge population of people that are old enough. They didn't then. You know, they're rebuilding things, and they need the manpower. They need the the force and, and strength in numbers. I mean, they're talking about not only the zombies, but you got these other groups that are not friendly that are probably trying stuff on occasion. So, they, you know, it's something required of them, and eventually that'll change. Cool. I didn't mind it either. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, haha, Pegs and Mike Lord together. He's, she's not a lonely cat lady, though I don't get uh, as much enjoyment out of that since you kind of, like, we're giving her so many props this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you foiled my plans again. Perfect, because that's what I had planned. Yes. Not really. It just worked <laughs> out that way. I didn't see that coming either. I figured they would have gone their own ways and figured out they weren't healthy for each other, but, you know, I was wrong. All right. Um, hmm? Go ahead. Go ahead. Let's so I got see. some notes for after this, but... Okay, I've... Next thing I really have is favorite lines, but I also pulled up the spreadsheet of predictions. Well, before we get into that, oh, you got this. Well, let me just wrap this up with some stuff. Sure. Um, so wanted to note that, yeah, again, not everything's sold to Nicholas. Like, you know, his mom going through, a, you know, an almost rape probably wasn't told to Nicholas. That's just for us. Um, there's some, you know, details about, like, his creation probably not told to him. Um, but yeah, you know, and, um, we know at this point, if you haven't already realized it, that lady is dead, you know, dogs don't live that long. Um, and yeah, and if you haven't caught it already for some reason, yes, there is going to be an addition to the We're Alive universe, you know, the tales from We're Alive. Um, it's not going to be put out in the traditional fashion. It's going to be a, a paid listen to thing. Um, probably start hearing more details about that in about three months or so maybe snippets before then but i doubt it let them have a deflation and all that um and what happened to max because that was never really answered in the actual show itself and casey says we don't know and he's not going to share it yet or not at all maybe right <laughs> we don't know we just don't know <laughs> and so and maybe we can talk about this a little bit more later. I don't know if we can talk about it now, but, um, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna probably cover Tales from Our Life. So, yeah. we're gonna be around. We're gonna be doing that, and we're gonna have other stuff coming out too. So, 
please do check in with mickred.com on occasion. Yeah, we've definitely got a, a few shows that should be spinning out here in the next month, but that's all spinning out into their own shows uh, in the <laughs> next month, <laughs> not spinning out and dying. Um, so, then we'll have this going on here. We'll, and if um, we've had some recommendations on other things to cover, so we'll probably come back and hit some zombie stuff in here occasionally to say hi to you guys. If you don't stay with us with the other feeds, and that's fine. I understand that, but we obviously appreciate that. More on that after you know we get to the end of the yeah. feedback and all that. So you got predictions that you originally had? Is that predictions from a couple of our live fan feedbacks. Oh, okay. Um, okay, so I had Michael dies and Saul lives. Not very good on that one. Todd, I asked him the questions, and he had Michael lives, Saul lives, Bert dies, Scratch lives, Datu dies. Yeah, man, I thought Bert was going to die. We both thought Bert was... Bart. We both thought Bart was dead, man. Bert. Bart. 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 <laughs> Didn't we? I mean... Yeah, I thought he was. I thought, you know, he'd be the one to sacrifice himself for the greater good. Right. Uh, Funky Dung. Our lip master says Michael dies. Saul lives. Bert lives. Datu dies. So he called that on those questions. Um, Funky Dung says Michael lives. Saul dies. Bert dies. Riley uh, does something bold and stupid to kill Scratch. Gets herself killed. I thought that was a possibility, too. Yeah, me too. Scratch well, Okay, so wait. You know, back to what you were saying earlier about the girls not being able to do it and all that. I thought for sure it would be uh, Riley coming back and playing a big role in that. Yeah, I, I, was, I wasn't going to try to save my face there. But yeah, I thought it was going to be Riley coming back because she was the one that was so hot to get revenge. Well, save your, save your face. You, <laughs> you deserve it. <laughs> You're not a chauvinist. It's got freckles. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying. Self- That's a beautiful examination. face. Yeah, I, yeah. I totally get I it. I don't want to shy away from it um, and say, I'm a pretty good guy. I wouldn't do anything like that. Uh, Red Shirt said, Michael lives. Saul lives. Bert dies in a blaze of glory. Maybe Scratch. Maybe. I, you know, I think I said that both Pete and Max were going to die, so I was wrong on that. Well, Pete. Well, Max is probably maybe dead. Maybe. <laughs> We don't know. We don't know. Uh, Datu dies. Maybe mercy injection, and it doesn't work. That was a pretty strong theory. Megan says, think so about Michael. Um, I don't know if that was think so. It lives or dies. And then had salt to die. Cat said, Michael lives, and Saul dies. <laughs> uh, Pegs. <sighs> Let's see. Lipmaster said he's hoping. Pegs dies. Funky Dung says he lives. Red Shirt says he lives. Victor, Richard said, uh, Victor lives. Is Randy a good guy was a question we had. Yeah. <laughs> Todd was unsure. It just seems like a tangent now. It does. <laughs> I was thinking I was thinking he was. The whole faction idea? I thought that yes. was kind of cool. That was pretty cool. Uh, Litmaster said, no, not a good guy. Funky Dung says, his own entity. Richard said, trying to help in some crazy zombie way. We asked the question, is Skittles a bad guy? Like, in some kind of twist. Todd said, not important enough. <laughs> Turned out to be just that. Litmaster says he lives, but unsure if he's a bad guy. Uh, Funky Dunk says, not Duncan. Redshirt says, not intentionally bad. And I asked if it was going to be a good ending, meaning, you know, survivors live and 
you know, probably kill Ink or something. Todd was hoping, I think, for a bad ending, but he said no, didn't, wasn't going to be a good ending. Which I would, I guess, I would consider this a good ending. How much better could it be, really? Yeah, I, I agree. Unless, like, they found the cure and turned everybody back into humans, which would be ridiculous. Um, Lipmaster said, if Pegs dies, it's a good ending. Redshirt <laughs> uh, says, survivors, survivors will win. And um, Megan qualified a good ending as Ink and Scratch dying, and we would have a good ending. Crazy theories that we asked everybody to share with us. Todd had a couple of them. Inklings came from the holes in the ground. And uh, the next... The rest of the season would be two would be the next two weeks, and it would end with Liz and Saul's baby being born, which was a pretty interesting theory because there was a lot of time left after that first live show. And the other only other interesting theory we got was from Redshirt. He heard it somewhere that Michael is talking to Saul's kid about this. Ooh. Wow, on the nose. Bam. <laughs> yep. And that's. All the predictions that I captured on that little spreadsheet there. Now, of course, there's other predictions in the forums, but I'm not going to run there and read the pages and pages of that. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot out there. Mm-hmm. So I'm ready to go to favorite lines if you are. I am ready. All right. I've got four. You got a few of them or just one? or? I've got the one. Okay. Uh, we already talked about CJ, do it, do it now, and... Do it! Do it! Do it now! Do it! Do it now! <laughs> Scratch, oh, look at you, got spunk now. Oh, look at you! Got spunk now! Loved that one. And then my favorite line here for Pegs is also your favorite line, I think. Mm-hmm. Right, she missed, I didn't. What happened? Yeah, yeah, she, she missed. I didn't. Oh, I've got one more, too. Yeah, go, go for it. Uh, she's not a killer, but I can be. <laughs> oh, man, I didn't write that down. I should have. You were wrong about Riley. She's not a killer. But I can be. I can handle it better than her. Uh, and then my last one is Nick. I'm in. I just love this kid. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty awesome. He would make a... He's pretty awesome in person, too. Yes. Oh, I bet. Well, what do you say, Nicholas? Wanna train? I'm in. Um, I got one more. Yeah. I told you I was gonna bury you. Oh, yes. That was Dude, incredible. One of the strongest lines of the whole series. I told you I was going to bury you. So two from Bert and one from Pegs, of all people. Nick, man, would make a great, uh, nice graphic novel. And he's also a little John Connor-ish, now that I think about it. John Connor-ish. Terminator, kid. Yep. Leading them into the future. <laughs> Time travel is not going to happen. <laughs> no, not like that. Like he's, you know, the one that's going to lead them through the zombie apocalypse when he gets older. Oh, 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 oh. No, he's going to send a Terminator back to kill Ink. No, just time travel. Save his dad. That's all I was talking about. <laughs> um, Yeah, that's all I got for favorite lines. All right, I guess I should give this one a rating. Five. Five, you say? 
What do you say? I say this was a this was a really strong chapter. We've got about everything you could ask for. So I'm definitely gonna have to give this one a five, man. Oh, thank God, man! If I, if I, if I <laughs> you had me on any you, higher, you had, the, had me on the edge of my seat. I was wondering, I was like, really? Is he gonna? Is he gonna do it? Is oh gonna... man, you'd have went off on me. <laughs> I would have <laughs> this one. I would have. I would have had to have backed it up with some serious flaws because it was so good. And I just any small nit, nitpick I had was nothing that took away from the enjoyment and the quality and uh, production value and acting. I mean, it was all top notch. I put that on a license plate. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, uh, people will get that. Some. Uh, okay, so let me go ahead and play Doofus Monkey's voicemail. He went ahead and sent us one today. And have you heard it? I have not heard it yet. Oh my goodness, you are in I for wanted a treat, it live. my friend. So we're going to begin our listener mail, tweets, and Facebook posts, and we got that voicemail, like I said. So. Hey, we're alive and we're live fan cast. This is a doofus monkey from the forums. Hey, I heard one time Casey on Twitter said that either me or Redbeard or Mick was in the show because uh, we were just unnamed colony members. So that means one of us fathered CJ's child, and I want to know who it is. Uh, <laughs> can't wait for your answer. This is doofus out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh man! I hope I get a call to to star on We're Alive. Oh, that uh, that would be cool. I would put a lot of effort in it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna guess that. I'm gonna guess that. Uh, maybe Vera's last name is Monkey. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're we're gonna find out what Max is doing. He's gonna have his own show like Maury, and we're gonna go in there and see who the father is. <laughs> right. <laughs> <gasps> Who's the father? <laughs> oh, that's good. That is oh, funny. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh jump into the first Facebook post we've got from Chris Eads. He says, "Bloody something! It's all over with." Well, until the next part of the series comes out, I'm glad the book hasn't been completely closed on the series, and look forward to the Tales from We're Alive series. Also, guys, if you're listening now, we're going to be getting to that. Not a contest, maybe a contest later. Yes. <laughs> After this feedback here. I haven't forgotten about it. Sure not. Uh, overall, it was a good way to close out this part of the series. I don't think Casey could have been satis- could have satisfied everyone, but I think the majority will have what they want. Favorite parts. I personally enjoyed Ink getting his just desserts at the hands of Saul and his final words telling Michael he was right about Ink's next project. I would have preferred that Bert and Riley got to Dunbar a little earlier and had been involved in the firefight, but I can I'll live with how it panned out. Although to me it seems Bert and Riley's entire story arc from season four was kind of pointless. Maybe that's just me. Good point. Character growth. <laughs> yeah. And they're sticking around instead of running off now. Yes, they are. I'd have liked to have another appearance from Skittles in this chapter, but alas, he's going to make an appearance in the next part of this universe. He's hopefully going to make an appearance, he says. Uh, the actual story finishes about 30 minutes to go, with about 30 minutes to go, rather than have had the whole 30 minutes of listening to the epilogue, I would rather have had a bit more of a conclusion with Randy. His demise was probably the weakest part of the finale for me. For his, For a bit part, this entire story he's been shrouded in mystery and for him to simply be taken out like that 
was a bit weak sauce in my eyes. I thought Scratch's demise was a fitting end to that arc. She got what she deserved and finally managed, and finally Pegs managed to do something useful at the end and finally shoot a gun again, getting back, or get back to tending your cabbages. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose we couldn't have had all the survivors last those 14 years. I did enjoy how we faded in from Michael's last journal entry to the future. But I was uh, pretty gutted to hear Tanya hadn't survived, and by the end of her theories and work, well, we're not taken seriously. Yeah, that was... Uh... I have to say, probably the character has grown the most on me. Uh, perfect casting for that part, Tanya. Okay, to summarize, I'd have to rate the series overall, not just this chapter, it has to be a 5. I don't think I have a, a specific lines until I re-listen, but the whole conversation with Bert and Scratch at the end was extremely fulfilling. Thanks to you guys once again for the am- an amazing podcast, but amazing work from Casey and the We're Alive family. We're Alive will... <laughs> oh, boy. Mondays will... I'm going to summarize. Mondays will not be very much fun. Censor, <laughs> 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 uh, censor. Without this show to look forward to. For five years, has been an integral part of my life and will be sorely missed. Well said, Chris. Thank you. Very well said. Um, yeah, I agree with a lot of that. It's good stuff. Dehaven to Wilson, uh, or Witch Doctor, says, I wanted Saul to live because I empathize with the characters, but I'm okay with the sacrifice. It ended perfectly. A triumph, closure, hopeful future, justice, and the survival of two characters whom I'd worry we would hear from again, Mr. Whiskers and the colleague professor, <laughs> college <laughs> professor. The epilogue was the perfect link. Not too long, like the Lord of the Rings, but more closure than one would get with a happily ever after. My favorite line came after the tunnel collapsed and someone asked, so what do we know? And Bert replies, anything or what do we do? Sorry. Wow. I can't read. Hmm. So, so what do we do now? And Bert replies, anything we want to. What? I thought that was Michael. I don't remember. Maybe remember that wrong. Thank you, Casey, for the quality entertainment. You did this for little to no money. And you were right there with the fans the whole time. We should all feel lucky to have access to the author like we do. Imagine interacting with Tolkien, George Lucas, or Spielberg while they were creating five out of five stars. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, Although I like interacting with Casey. I'm not sure I'd like interacting with these others. (laughs) Yeah, not not after what they've done to their original creations. <laughs> but no, uh, yeah, that is really cool, and I can't really have much more to say about that. I think I've said it enough. All right, yeah. said it a lot at least, maybe not enough. It's, yeah, five out of five, totally agree there, uh, DW. All right, Clem, Carlos Sherman. Wow, dang, Clem. Yes, Clem <laughs> brought it, my goodness. What did Might he have agree? to summarize here a little bit. He says he's going to try to keep it brief, but we know better than that. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think? Let's see. He says, uh, We're Alive should not be subtitled a story of survival, but instead a story of hope, because that's the prospect from the last 30 minutes. Good point. Uh, Typical zombie stories end dark with a nihilistic undertone. No hope at all, and near extinction of the survivors and or humanity. But Casey Casey Whalen did something very different here. And that is what I did not expect with all the mayhem, devastation, and things 
that have gone wrong from episodes 1 through 47. I really appreciate this finale, the way the two major plot lines were resolved, and especially how calm, peaceful, and happy ending-ishly the last half hour went. Huge contrast from anything else in the show, and it makes perfect sense. Did you like it? He says, no, not at all. I love it. Was it missing anything for you? Um, hard to tell. Animal Farm? <laughs> <laughs> okay, it makes sense that Lady did not survive the last 14 years. Uh, since Casey said on the forum she was 6 from the beginning, so 14 sums up to 20, which is kind of a challenge for a dog to become that old. But with the goat, dog, or cow, Mr. Moo Moo, <laughs> Mr. McGoorns, I guess, if Mr. Whiskers did it, they must have made it as well. Andy missed Skittles. A final appearance would have been nice, because he, unlike any other human in this story, is a survivor. Man, I hope he's not holed up in his tower thinking Ink's still coming to get him. That would be tough. Yeah. Rating out of five. He also won't rate the chapter 48 alone, but instead rate the entire show five stars. It did have its weak moments. Which story does not have it, he asks. But considering the complexity of the story, the drawing of the characters, the plot twists and turns, and storytelling havoc, uh, as well as the somewhat realistic approach to the whole background of it, I would feel bad to give it less than that. Five stars it is. Casey and his cast and crew, as well as the other participants on other levels around the show, like the incredible Weird Life fandom and other podcasts like, uh, yes, especially your fan cast, thank you, sir. Gave him some great moments. He gives us a five as well. Uh, favorite lines? <laughs> uh, Kelly, uh, diapers. <laughs> <laughs> During the heat of battle. Scratch, who knew I would get everything at once? Perfectly sums up her attitude and character. Oh, yeah, she was cocky. Yeah. Saul's, I forgot, we kind of glazed over that, but that is so true. We did. Saul, uh, that's it. Go home, man. Take care of my boy and my mom. Michael, you, you were right, because it makes his eyes... Go to the bathroom a bit, he says. <laughs> and probably one of the emotionally strongest moments in this character. Care pegs. She missed I didn't when she saw Scratch. Care pegs. <laughs> Final lines of Tanya when Michael calls, because it reveals how much love is within the people. Even in a world like this, which is full of madness and sadness. He's still crying, it sounds like. From the thing when he said he had tears in his eyes. <laughs> and like Bert said, I told you I was going to bury you. And more. Clem continues, the list keeps going longer and longer, so I stick with those so far. Because up to that moment, it is a story from the past, and from that moment onwards, the present and future projects of We're Alive take place. Well done. Yeah, thank you, sir. Jordan Youngers, also known as Cream feeling <laughs> I'm beyond happy that Pegs and Michael finally ended up together. The end was phenomenal, but that's what really made me happy about. See me not a graph there, cream filling. Uh, Peter Bell. As pegs for life. On... <laughs> yeah, hashtag pegs for life. Nice, Jordan. <laughs> Peter Bell. As I reflect on it more, I would like to know if anyone else found the ending Harry Potter-esque. I've not seen it. I kind of I... know how it ends. And I I've kind of this. agree. And uh, Casey also said he thought there was some parallels, not on purpose, of course, but <clears throat> yeah, it did kind of match up a little bit with it in ways. Yeah. See, uh, Alyssa Uranga says, uh, you know, and I just have to mention this. She is so cool. She is so cool. cool. I, I didn't get the meter, but like you did, but yeah, I think she's pretty awesome. <laughs> 
Well, I thought cha- uh, chapter 47 was amazing. The finale was okay, but too short. <laughs> <laughs> the epilogue was too long. Everything wrapped up too happy ending. Uh, the good guys won and the bad guys didn't. That said, I like uh, Saul's sacrifice. Very nice. Thank you, Alyssa. Uh, Julianne Mark Stacy. Nothing but praise from me. The whole four seasons was superbly written from Casey Wayland in the first two seasons with the help of Shane Salk. Brilliant characters. Yes, I do agree with someone on here about Skittles as well, but for me, it's far superior than The Walking Dead, and that is high praise, and Casey Wayland should be very proud of his effort in bringing this to a wider audience. So here's looking forward to the next chapter of We're Alive. Let's hope for more shocks from the series as well. <laughs> Eric Chung says, 5 out of 5. Glad it had a happy ending, and for me, the fun- final third being devoted to the future was an unexpected surprise. <laughs> yeah, unexpected and very welcome surprise after I got the digested. <laughs> Cam Law. What's up, Cam? A great and satisfying ending. Five out of five. Only criticism. I love that, you know, people gave us, like I was doing it out of ten, somebody recommended we go to five. And then, like, everybody that's replying to it is, you know, using that same skill. That's so cool. It's very, very But a great and satisfying finale. Five out of five. Only criticism is that was hoping for a bit more dramatic end to Ink and Randy. But having his legs cut was still pretty cool. And uh, Saul admitted to seeing the new creation bearing down on him at the end. The Dunbar arc was brilliant and loved it. And lastly, enjoyed how the show, how the, how the story ended. Favorite line, I'm in. Bang. <laughs> Good one. Carrie Rockle says, the ending was perfect. Scratch's death was so satisfying. Wish Saul would have lived, Lizzie, and Datu too. But it made the story better. <laughs> Thank you, Carrie. Uh, Jack, Jake Cookie Owen. Why no closure on Max? Is he dead? Right. People want to know. We want to know. <laughs> we don't know. We may find out later. <laughs> or not. Who knows? Thanks, Jake. Thanks, Jake. Uh, Peter Bell. I think that Scratch and Pegs should have killed each other at the end. Having said that, the way Bert finished that part of the story was extremely satisfying. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. I've been talking about how dark it was, but yeah, there was some satisfaction to it, as messed up as it was. Oh, yeah. And I think I was rooting for something like this to happen, too, if, like as a, one of the scenarios. So It's one of those totally... train wreck, can't look away in moments. It's just, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> very good, very good. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, Peter. Matt Sawyer says, I, I loved it. Everything was brilliantly tied up. All of it I enjoyed. The things I was left wanting was uh, some talking from Ink or Randy. No monologue, but a bit of something would have been nice. And also the bit where Michael and Tanya chat on the radio. I struggled to hear anything Michael was saying after the first few lines. I'm surprised at the lack of casualties for the survivors. It was truly brilliant, though. Yeah, I agree. I expected more uh, bloodshed. At the very uh, end, just him looking over at Saul and saying, screw you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I also expected um, a couple lines from Ink and or Randy as well. And, yeah, I had to go back and listen a couple more times to try to eavesdrop on Michael and Tanya <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as well. Thanks, Matt. 
Uh, do you want to go ahead and go with the next Twitter one? Yeah. See, so, uh, Josh at Rinks on Twitter says, here's another question to ask. What happened to Scratch? Since she had a fan in the coffin with her to give oxygen, what was the final outcome? You're sick, Sorry. man. You want us to think about this? You're going to make us get in the coffin and think about this? Well, here's one you probably didn't think of. You know, beyond her dying, she had to defecate and piss on herself. Oh, no. That is terrible. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Oh, then you have to smell it. Oh, yeah. And lay in it and get a rash. Oh, yeah, bed sores. Oh, no. Probably... <laughs> Starvation or infection? Which came first? Hopefully that fan gave out pretty quickly. <laughs> I've been hoping for it. Or kicked oh, it man. or something. Alright, Clem's back. And this is the last piece of feedback that I have before we get on to the not a contest. Contest. Maybe not. Uh, Clem Carlos Sherman. Welcome back. He says, ready for some numbers. A couple of fun facts, if you like. Number one, not considering intros, extras, and commercials, the complete show covers roughly 45 hours of story being told, while the average chapter of season one was like 51 and a half minutes on average, and season two was a little more than 53 minutes. Season three chapters were more than 58 minutes long, while uh, while this season, 12 rocked with more than 67 minutes on average per chapter. This is just for the friends, nerds, and geeks enjoying numbers. What does this tell me? What does this tell about me, I wonder, Clem says. <laughs> that you are awesome. Yeah, pretty cool. Thanks for one <laughs> of those stats. He said they're not, you know, 100% like, you know, accurate to the second, but he said they're pretty close. And that's what one of the other iTunes reviews was that chapters were getting shorter. <laughs> they, that, that, they, they once, he once started over that. The chapters are getting shorter and something else. And I was thinking, oh, well, my buddy Clem just went through this and they're getting longer. Here's the problem. When you, like, whenever our friends that got into it binge listened, uh, like when they're into chapter two, because I remember somebody was, like, at the end of chapter two, he, they binge listened, caught up. And then all of a sudden, the story wasn't as good to them piece by piece because they're only getting it in small little chunks. I think yeah. that may be some of it because you—it's so good altogether. You kind of expect to to ride these arcs and not have to take breaks in between. To anybody having that problem, I would recommend taking notes and breaking down the entire episode <laughs> and see how much is really in there. <laughs> <laughs> it it hasn't hurt. It's definitely uh helped. Oh, it's, it's ex- I think it's expanded the the experience. I mean, there's so much stuff that I probably wouldn't have caught as a casual listener. Yeah, definitely. Um, and also, stuff I wouldn't have caught without people writing in and sharing some great insights that I, oh, yeah. that I didn't, that would have totally flew over my head. 100% without a doubt. Then before we move on to this next fun little segment, I just want to say thanks to everybody that has written in and contributed to the show and joined you know joined up with us on Facebook and Twitter and everywhere else and that, I've seen a lot of posts where people are like hey you know just heard about this fan cast really like it you guys should listen to it I really appreciate that that you would uh, you know, get it out there so we could interact with everybody that loves we are live as much as we do and you guys do so uh, 
Heartfelt on that. And to the convoy crew, thanks for picking me up and taking me to L.A. and <laughs> making such a great experience that much better. Uh, I mean, I, I, I honestly look at every one of those people as being close friends now. So just made this entire experience that much more significant. Yeah, and uh, to Casey, I mean, I can't say much more than like bravo and well done. Uh, I can't imagine the the hours. I mean, we talked about 10,000 hours on the last interview. Yeah, seriously. Um, and just the time and hard work put into it. And then also being available to not just to us, but just to everybody. That's so cool. Oh, yeah. And then... I, we cannot forget Grayson, man. If you'd have seen that guy running around at the live event, it would just be a window into how busy that dude is <laughs> helping out with all this stuff. So a huge thank you to Grayson as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Blair, also, okay. <laughs> and Blair for putting up with Casey. <laughs> <laughs> and putting up with definitely sharing him with everybody. Uh, and I know at times that probably is not the most enjoyable thing uh, since he's so com- he was so committed to this group and his story, but he's I mean that was really good stuff. Um, to the actors and everybody, they couldn't have been more cool. Like, not 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 even just to come and talk to us, which was amazing, and they were all very friendly, outgoing, open with us. But I mean, this really good people all around. Oh, okay. Well, we're ready to move on to this next piece before we close out our final Season 4 coverage. Yeah. So, like we said earlier, we have a contest. Unofficially, whatever. I'm not sure what all the rules are on allowing us to do this. But (laughs) basically, we have this little game that we're going to be playing and kind of have it as a segment to a podcast or have it stand alone as its own thing. But... Eventually, you're going to be able to hear this in uh, our mass feed at McRed once it's all set up. But the game is called Conflicted. It's a card game, and you're presented a post-apocalyptic scenario. And we're going to read two of them to you. What we want you guys to do is to record your take on the uh, Conflicted scenario and send it to us. And which one should they send it to? Uh, WAFANCAST at gmail.com. Yes. So we're going to present you with a scenario, and we basically want to know what you would do. We're going to pick the two best answers, and the, f- the best answer is going to get a War Live dog tag from the finale event. And the second place is going to get the, uh, the War Live symbol, the protection symbol, on a button. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And awesome. then I've also got some stickers that we're probably gonna maybe throw someone someone someone's way. So from from the finale, all this stuff is f- stuff from you got the finale at the live finale. Yes, very cool. So okay, we're gonna read the scenarios to you guys, and again, you're gonna come up with what your solution to the scenario would be, and you're gonna send it the audio recording of what your uh, solution would be to. Is it wafancast at gmail.com? Wafancast at gmail.com. Of course, that will be in the show notes. A Facebook post related to this, not a contest. <laughs> uh, the forum, probably a forum post, just to be able to get 
as much people uh, that want to do this involved, and then we'll air it all on a, on a show to be on this podcast feed in the future. Yes. We want to have those in by... Well, I can't say that because we're not going to release this till probably next Thursday, the 21st. Okay. So, so like, by September 5th? September 5th is a good date. So, September 5th. That's a Friday. Just send that in, and we will go over them. And uh, I'm probably just going to pick the ones that I like the most that seem possible, too. Yes. I'm not a survival expert, so... Yours could be the best because it's the funniest. Yours could be the best because it's so simplistically perfect. Or yours could be the best because it's something we would have never thought of. (laughs) 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 So... Whatever you feel compels you. So, you want to go first with yours? Yes. Let's okay. see. A series of asteroids have destroyed the modern world, setting civilization back at least a thousand years. What are the first three things you would personally do in order to start rebuilding civilization? Why? And we're going to leave it at that. We're not going to give it any of our take. Right. Let them do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. We can talk about it. Ours maybe during that other show which whatever i don't know right probably hear a lot of good ones (laughs) (laughs) so okay the the, they were given two scenarios so you just pick one and go with it you hear a noise in the back of your house and you found about 12 orphans scavenging for food in your garbage cans they appear to be kids under six or seven years old taking them in would diminish your supply timeline by 50 percent and you aren't sure you can replenish your supplies once they run out Plus, it would take manpower to watch over all of them, and you can spare little since everyone in your camp is constantly exhausted from hard work and rationed meals. Leaving these kids to their fates would mean their deaths or worse. How would you handle the situation? Man. Yeah, it's some crazy stuff. The way that one starts out reminds me of a two-line scary story I heard earlier today. I saw earlier today on Reddit. You want to hear it? Two lines. Two lines, go. <laughs> My wife woke me up last night to tell me there was an intruder in our house. She was murdered by an intruder two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's messed up, man. That's pretty crazy. So I'm going to take pictures of these things that were given away, and we're going to have those in the show notes as well. And cool. see what else. So, oh, oh, and something else to mention about the game. If people like this and it's as fun as I think it will be, we're going to at some point get everybody on a Google Hangout and we have these live discussions together, which I think will make for something very entertaining. Yeah, that's kind of a, that'd be a fun game, and that's the kind of game you could play over a Google a Google Hangout. Yeah. So, um, I'm liking the game so far. Um, the other thing that I would just love for people to do is to contact this company and tell them they need to sponsor us. (laughs) Just go blow up their inbox. (laughs) What is that? Just you Google conflicted card game or something? Yeah, it's uh, conflictedthegame.com. Yeah, we've already got, we recorded one or two shows of conflicted just to see how it would go. Yeah, we need to, we need to sit down and kind of review those and see how well they went and see if there's something we could change or 
make it, you know, add elements to make it better. But yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, that, is, that could be. But uh, until we talk again on this conflicted thing, uh, we'll hopefully talk to you guys pretty soon. And if not, check it back to mickred.com, see what's going on. And also, if you would check out the Facebook page, facebook.com, WAFANCAST. You can stay up to date with uh, the stuff that is going on over at McRed with the rest of our podcasts. One other quick note. Um, there's a note up on the forums over on zombiepodcast.com. Uh, there, it looks like they're going to be transferring the, uh, the website over to, I guess a dedicated server or an upgrade of some sort, uh, in the next week or so. So there might be some downtime. Um, so just kind of a heads up on that. On zombiepodcast.com? Yep. Looks like they're going to upgrade it so that it'll resolve some of the speed issues. Oh man. It was hammered on the finale. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> like we've said, a good problem to have. All right, well, if that's it, uh, I'm Mick, and I'm really I'm glad that you guys uh, shared Season 4 with us. Definitely. This has been an awesome ride. All right. Talk to you later, Redbeard. Later, Mick. And that's a show! That's a show. That's a season. Thanks for listening to the We're Alive Fancast. If you would like to send feedback to the show, you can email us at we'realive at mickred.com, and we will read your mail on the show. We want to know what you think about We're Alive each week. Tweet us or email us your theories and reactions to that week's show. You can tweet us at, at WAFancast. Visit our website at mickred.com. Mickred is always spelled M-I-C-K-R-E-D. You can find the We're Alive Fancast on Facebook. Just search We're Alive Fancast. Special thanks to Kevin McLeod for letting us use his song Ghost Apocalypse in this podcast. This has been a Mick Red production. Thousand years. Uh, boop, start over. Later, Mick. And that's a show! That's a show. That's a season. Oh my gosh, that was two and a half hours. Yeah, it was. Glad I had that coffee. Oof. Well, it's 20 minutes till midnight. I'm not going to keep you, because I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that. All right, man. All right, later, man. Later.